Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All I heard at the front of the bus was this booming laugh. He could not stop himself laughing because he'd seen a replay of it and then start going. I mean, she was five foot in the air. <laughs> it wasn't great, was it? It was mistimed. There was no intent to it. Hey, hey, here we are again. I hope you're good. You've had a positive week. This is another brand new episode of Outside the Box, the podcast all about women in sport. I'm Becky Ives, and we're back with my next guest to hang out. We're going to share some stories, offer help and advice to anyone thinking of wanting to get into working in sports. We're going to play a few games because, well, we just love them. And just be super nosy finding out how my guests have got to where they have today. And today's guest... I feel like she's a lady of many talents. Uh, I feel like there's loads that we can chat about here and she's also probably going red now that I've just said that. Uh, Firstly, she's an ex-professional player of the women's game. Then after retirement, she moved into punditry. And if that wasn't enough to keep her busy, she's now producing TV sports shows. So... Alicia Ferguson is here. <laughs> wow, what an intro. I know. One right? of the better ones. Did, Did you always do my intros from just life, please? Just when you walk in a room? Yeah, just please. I always. Can, I can arrange that. Yeah. I knew you'd like that one. I know. I you spot on with the red as well. As soon as there's any heat or any embarrassment, it's red. Bright red. The <laughs> complexion, yeah. Um, look, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, the reason I wanted to do this podcast is because I really want more women in sports. Mm. And I know that is something that you are also super passionate about, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, only from, well, from playing the game, but then also moving into the punditry world and then into production. It's um, It's been an interesting transition and it's been, you know, there's been ups and downs and I'm the same as you, um, especially now in my role in production. I want to see more women, more women who are producing TV shows, more women who are producing sport because um, there's just not enough of us, unfortunately. And that's what we've got to change. So hopefully... This podcast will help that. Um, let's start. Let's go back to your playing days. Cast your mind back. Growing up in Australia, um, what made you decide that you wanted to play football? So I'm the youngest of five kids. Um, my dad's side of the family is Scottish. So there was a very heavy football influence from that side of the family. Um, they're from outside of Glasgow, a place called Air. So there was very heavy Celtic Rangers rivalry within the family. So half of a Celtic, the good half, and the <laughs> bad half say, are Rangers. Half are you? Just yeah. Um, and my brother closest to me played football, and I just used to follow him around. And he used to kick lumps out of me in the backyard before school, after school. I couldn't get enough of it. And we'd travel around every weekend when I wasn't old enough to join a team to watch him play in, in football carnivals when we lived in far north Queensland in Cairns. And I just couldn't wait to join the boys team when I was six. And it's kind of snowballed from there. So at what point did you then decide, I'm going to try and be a professional at this? Because <laughs> that's quite a big leap. It was, pre- it was pretty young, to be honest. So I was identified to get my first... Um, it was a scholarship at an academy and I was 13 years old. So it was the Queensland Academy of Sport. 
And basically, because I was so young, the academy sent me along to a sports psychologist just to make sure that I understood the commitment and what I was up against and whether I could fit that in with my schoolwork and other commitments and also just being a teenager, which I could and I loved it. But that commitment was four nights a week training and two or three mornings a week plus a game on the weekend. So my parents did a lot of kilometers driving me around early mornings sitting around waiting for me at training and late nights, but they just knew that I absolutely loved it. And I'm forever grateful for that. And what was, so you, oh God, I mean, incredibly young, saying yeah. at 13, what was the women's game like at 13? How aware were you of the women's game at that time? Only when I got that scholarship. So I was always playing with boys teams up until then. And even the first year of that scholarship, I played with the boys on a Saturday and then played with the women on a Sunday. Wow. And I loved it. It was just football I was football mad so that was fantastic but even then the visibility and the you know knowing that there was an Australian women's team and I I wasn't aware of it so my role models were always male footballers favorite player was Dennis Bergkamp I was an I'm an Arsenal fan so I was going to ask you was there anyone that you sort of identified with but no not at that stage it wasn't probably until I was a little bit older and the likes of the US team came into you know the forefront of my mind but That was only because I had started playing with the academy team and there was national team players in that team. And it was fantastic. I was was a youngster and all these women were taking me under their wing and were, you know, that's not to say they wouldn't kick the shit out of me, which they did. (laughs) They appreciated my enthusiasm and they were very nurturing in their um, support of me. And it was fantastic. I just loved it. So then when I say to you, you broke into the national team at 15, which is only two years after you went and took this scholarship. Mm. I mean, there's quick and then there's you. <laughs> yeah, I have no patience. Yeah. Like, no, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Look, I think in women's football, that happens a lot more. You know, Ellie Carpenter, who's now in our Matildas team, the Australian team, she debuted at the age of 15. So it does tend to happen a lot earlier in the women's game. It was still young. And my first tour with the Aussie team was a six-week tour of Europe in 1997. And that was a huge eye-opener. Yeah, I mean, it was great because I was missing school and I was traveling around Europe. We went to nine different countries. I made my debut against Hungary. Went to places like Estonia, which I probably never knew existed as, you know, a 15-year-old from Australia because Europe was this big, bad, faraway place yeah. that you, you, you had know, just never yet. went to. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's the UK and then everything in Europe and you didn't really know too much about it. So, I mean, that was that was absolutely amazing. And that was the tour where I just thought, yeah, this is this is all I want to do in life. But the pressure that came with that... Do you remember feeling any pressure particularly? Yeah, absolutely. I think the difficulty when you're a young player is you've got the attitude and you've got the enthusiasm, but what you don't have is the maturity or the consistency. So I would have fantastic games and then the next game I would be absolutely horrendous and it used to frustrate me no end. But that just comes with experience. At that stage, I was a striker as well and I ended my career as a holding midfielder. But you don't really know yourself as a player you don't really know yourself as a person so it's a very quick maturity trajectory that you've Mm. got to take and sometimes you get it right and you know more times than not you get it wrong and you went on to play two world cups yeah with the matildas yeah how was that to represent your country in the women's game it's the proudest thing that i've done in my life and pulling on the green and gold still it still gives me goosebumps talking about it singing the national anthem And, you know, the funny thing is, though, when I made the Australian team, 
as as proud as I was to be representing my country, I was just really happy that my parents didn't have to pay for me to travel away. Because now in the national team, because the amount, the thousands of dollars mm. that my parents spent on petrol, flights, trips away, and I just thought, oh, this is great. They don't have to pay for me anymore. Wow. That's such I've made a sweet thoughts. But yeah. parents really are like the driving force behind many young kids that want to get into this, aren't they? They are. And unfortunately, on the flip side of it, it's also the reason why a lot of, I think a lot of women and a lot of young girls actually fall out of the game, mm-hmm. especially in places like London where... I was really lucky. My parents were committed and it wasn't just me. It was my brother or it was my sister would drive us around, drive us to all ends of Brisbane and up and down the countryside. But not everyone has that luxury and it's difficult. And when young girls particularly are having to rely on public transport late at night, early in the morning, you do see a lot of them fall out of the game and and so much talent I think is lost that way and and I think it's something that needs to be addressed. And when you were 13, 14, 15 broken into the squad, what was the women's game like in Australia? Where did you think you would end up? Because you were playing with boys every weekend. So in your brain, were you like, well, I'm going to end up in the male team because I want to play football and that's the opportunity? Yeah, I don't... That's a really good question. And you know what? I don't even think I had any thought process about that. Because when you're a kid, all I wanted to do was play football. And I think there was even a point where I was playing with the boys team and um, I there was two divisions at this club that I was playing with. So the boys team had a division one and a division three in my age group. And clearly I should have been in the division one, but for some reason they decided to put me in division three because they didn't think maybe physically I was up to it. Mm-hmm. Yet every weekend I would get called up to actually play in the division one team. And I didn't actually ever realize that that was the reason for it until I was a lot older and my parents pointed it out to me. But that's the beauty of innocence, isn't it? You do things on instinct and you do things because you love them and you don't really think about any of that bias or unconscious bias or even any of that prejudice that's being, you know, thrown towards you. And it's it was great. I I just wanted to play. And yeah, I, didn't, you, I didn't know I didn't know where I wanted to play. I didn't know where I wanted to get to. I just knew all I wanted to do was play football. And sometimes that's the best thing. You've just got to live in the moment and do it, and not actually worry too much about where you're going to end up. Well, where's this going to lead? Well, I don't know. I'm just going to take a leap of faith and go and try. Yeah, it's a bit like playing a game. You know, like a lot of athletes, I think, or footballers. If people ask them about their best moments, they'll either remember the best moments and the really bad moments. But a lot of in between of the detail, you don't really remember. Because you're just going on instinct and you're just in the zone. And that was the same thing. It was just my memories of back then were just playing football. And it wasn't good. You know, there were great memories. There was nothing bad about them. There was nothing bad about them. Okay. So <laughs> until. <laughs> until. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. Throughout this podcast, Jace, um, we're getting everybody to play some games just because yep. I'm creating a uh, leaderboard. It's very high class. It's a piece of paper and a pen. Uh, Jules Breach is leading at the minute. I think there's Phil, Ooh. Neville, and then Grace coming in as well. Um, so we'll play three games and you have to collectively gather points as we go along. We'll add them all up at the end. Um, and is I'll this you trying to promote for a new game show is this like is this why you're playing games in it Becky we're going to do the next chase the version of the chase you know I need to branch out with the yeah, uh, TV right. presenting so this is where we're going um, but first up we are going to play you a YouTube clip for five points right I'm judging your explanation by points here okay just tell me about it thoughts feelings emotions I think you know what's coming don't I think you? I know what's coming I think I'm going to get the five points <laughs> take a look at this coming by meeting 
version of Australia who went stamping in at Sandy Hunt. Got the ball. Absolutely got the ball, referee. <laughs> yeah, God, you know, it was so hot that day. It was... Yeah, it was, um, yeah, minute 48 that was. I think that... <laughs> I think that is my favourite clip. <laughs> and I love how you can talk about this now. I mean, I still think I got sent off for my mahogany bangs because that fringe <laughs> was absolutely horrendous. 16-year-old, New York Giants Stadium. And, I, you know, I blame my mum for that fringe as well, actually, to be fair. Yeah, that's is that what some... happened? Was the fringe just slightly too far down Fring... your eyes? Well, you no, just... it, was like, it was like the McDonald's M's. It wasn't anywhere near. I don't even, I've got two cowlicks on my forehead. I can't even use that as an excuse. Yeah, so 99 World Cup, my first World Cup. Um, I'd moved to Canberra the year before. Yeah, 98 when I was 16. And I was one of the squad players going along to that World Cup. I was a young star. I was a striker there, which you could probably tell from yeah. that tackle. That's definitely a striker's tackle. Very, like, poor Scholesy. I th- it was fully committed is what i'll say it was committed yeah so there's a yeah i mean yeah so i was 16 it was new york giant stadium 30 40 people i hadn't played a single minute of our first two games in that world cup this was our final game against china they went on to play against the u.s in the one of the most epic women's football finals in the world and for some reason and i still don't know why brownie greg brown the coach Mm -hmm. um decided that i was going to start against one of the best teams in the world and (laughs) And how did you feel about that when you found that out? Bearing in mind you hadn't played at all in this tournament. Surprised, proud, terrified, all of the above. I didn't really sleep the night before. I was really nervous. And um, he always, whenever we played China, technically and tactically, they were ahead of us back then at that stage. Uh, so we always wanted to try and impose ourselves on them physically, which mm-hmm. will probably make you chuckle based on that tackle. <laughs> And Brownie just gave us a really big G up. And I remember the changing rooms at New York Giant Stadium. They are bloody huge. They're like the size of a mansion because there's so much space. Telephones in them and everything. But (laughs) anyway, so Brownie was giving us a really big G up. You know, really need to get stuck in nice early tackles, win the ball. And you took that just literally. Took it literally straight into there. But (laughs) I was nearly crying in the warm up. I was very emotional. I was overly emotional. Um, And... It was also FIFA Fair Play Day, which I don't think helped with um, Sandy, the referee, uh, making the decision to give me a straight red. So I made the tackle and I thought, I'm not, I'm definitely not as quick as I thought I was. I thought I was quicker <laughs> then. And then all I heard was Sandy, as I was pulling my sock up, say, you're off. And I thought, oh. that's a bit much. And there's a photo of me somewhere with looking up at her and she's got the red card. And then all I thought, and I looked up at the big screen and saw the time and went, <laughs> that's not, that's not long in, that, that, that's, that's not that's, much. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't, been, I haven't barely broken a sweat, yeah. yeah. And then all I thought was, don't cry until you get off the field. Just mm. don't start crying until you get off the field. And then I got off the field and I didn't stop crying until the end of the game. Oh no. Yeah, I was, I was, I was so, well, embarrassed, angry, disappointed. Yeah. Everything basically. And did yes. Brownie say anything to you? No. Well, after the game, funnily enough, so they had to. I mean, I was throwing things. I was doing all sorts in the changing room. They mm. actually sent in the sports psychologist to make sure I was okay. Right. I couldn't face the team at half time. I went into the back of the stadium, but then on the bus. So our assistant coach was blowing up, saying, "Eesh, I was so there, blah blah blah, whatever." Mm. And then on the bus as we were leaving, because we lost that game three one, Brownie just all I heard at the front of the bus was this booming laugh he could not stop himself laughing because he'd seen a replay of it and then started going 
I mean, she was five foot in the ass. <laughs> it wasn't great, was it? It was mistimed. There was no intent to it. It was definitely a mistimed t- tackle. I still think she kind of saw me coming yeah. at a very slow speed. Maybe she thought I was, yeah, and kind of, but anyway, I, I felt terrible because it was about 35 degrees Celsius ga- that game against one of the best teams in the world and I'd managed to royally screw it up <laughs> and like, and for not just everyone but myself. But it was one of the best experiences of my career because it made me a much better footballer and it made me reassess the way I approached my uh, the mental approach to the game. So you're going to say tackles. <laughs> Definitely. Well, funnily enough, I've only had two red cards in my career and both were against China. And the the other one, I think, was even harsher. I was, I was really hard done by the other one. That's what they all say. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it was horrendous at the time, mm. but I'm, I'm a world record holder. That you can say is a claim to fame. It's a claim Quid to fame. Quick kiss sending off. Do you know something? So the first time I worked for ESPN as well, so this is for the Women's World Cup in 2011, and I'm sitting in... Next to World Cup winners, Brandy Chastain's that side and Kate Marcraft's the other side. Mia Hamm was somewhere else. And so they've got all these highlights clips of all the World Cup winners. And then my highlight clip to show everyone that I was going to be one of the pundits was that. <laughs> it, it haunts you to this day, doesn't it? That just shows you the type of footballer I was. My only highlight clip was me getting sent off. Like, thanks, thanks for that, guys. I know. I guess at the time you didn't realise how much that red card would become a big deal throughout your rest of your career in punditry and, to be fair, now producing probably. Exactly. But you know what? That's what I mean. Out of such a negative experience, it's actually become mm. a really positive experience because not just for me personally, but even professionally, it's... Who I mean, who wants to see someone that scores all the goals? Why don't you see someone that so like boring. hacks a player? It's so much better to yeah. see stuff like that. Each that's definitely worth five points, was that? What an incredible yes. answer. She's off the mark. She's off the mark. Um let's just talk about so you then moved from Australia and you relocated over here, back to the UK. And you spent a year in twenty twelve thirteen playing here. For the Millwall Lionesses. Millwall Lionesses. No one likes us, we don't care. <laughs> that's the one. I mean, what how different was it when you rocked up here to play compared to where you'd left i wasn't gonna play i think the i was done because i'd done my cruciate uh a few years before and i just thought the 11 aside version of the game i was kind of done with i just wanted to play five aside but it was quite difficult for me to actually find somewhere to play a lot of uh, my husband cookies mates wanted me to play with them mm-hmm. but because of the fa rules i wasn't even allowed to play in a goals league with them and i was finding it difficult to find any social football so I thought, I'll go and sign up with Millwall. And uh, I mean, yeah, I wasn't in the best shape ever. And it was more for the social aspect of playing for Millwall. But it was fantastic. It was great. Except for, and the reason I only played one season was just three nights a week training when it was freezing until 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> the weather? The, the, the honestly, weather did you? I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Or going, <laughs> and the dripping pan at Lewis, I remember is a particularly like dire memory of the mud oh yeah just not being out just trying to pull my boots out of the mud and you were like this didn't happen back home i don't know yeah and i just thought i think i think i'm just gonna have to move on and try and find yeah you were like six or game. can she do it on a cold tuesday night in millwall no No. she can't no she cannot (laughs) i used to actually ride my bike to training and it was so cold on the way back I, I couldn't, I just, like, I'd usually just get a cab back and lock my bike up somewhere. <laughs> just like, and all my teammates would just ask me, what are you 
doing here? I said, I moved here for love. And I think I'm going to move back because I don't, I'm not sure that's enough. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm falling it's out cold. of love very it's too quickly. Cold. <laughs> well, thankfully for us, you did stay. And in actual fact, you went into punditry, which I have to point out, isn't something that every player gets the opportunity to do. It's not a natural right just because you played the game. It's mm. quite a hard thing to do. What was your route to it? Did you fall into it naturally or did you have to hustle a bit? I was pretty lucky because I was always going to go into coaching after I finished playing football. I'm a football nerd. I love watching tactical analysis and it's like it's you know that's my thing and I love it so I was always going to go into coaching and then I got the opportunity to actually do some co-commentary for the ABC on the W League back in Australia which is where that after that then I got the job with ESPN as a pundit for the Women's World Cup personally I prefer the co-commentating because you get more time to talk about the game and analyze the game and punditry is a funny thing as a footballer it's actually and I think there's an art and a skill in being able to get your point across and say something quite profound in 15 seconds. Because realistically, you don't get much more than, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds to make your point, especially at half time. Mm. The builder, the, that time frame isn't that much. But do you worry about what type of pundit? to be because you do get different types and I know I've worked with some people who had finished playing football was coming in to do punditry because they wanted to for the first time and comment on the game and they were really like I don't know how far to push this I don't want to offend people because I still work with people in the game and I know these people and they're my friends but I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. At the same time, they were like, oh, I don't feel like I can really just sit on the fence because you've got to have an opinion. So it's actually quite tough to find a balance. It is. But I think anyone that knows me does know that I can be a bit of a sledgehammer to the face and will be honest and critique. The, the way you critique, you need to put context to it and you need to explain. And if someone's got a differing of opinion, and I remember having um, an opinion on some refereeing decisions, particularly of uh, an assistant referee, and then before the next game that assistant referee came up to me and had heard the coverage and explained to me what had happened. And I said, thanks. And I'm quite happy to, if I get the chance to acknowledge that in the, in another type of coverage, because you're not, no one's always right, but it is a game of opinions Hmm. and it is a game which is very subjective and you need to understand that. And I think as long as you're, analyzing the game rather than the people that's what it's about and and you're going to get it wrong sometimes and sometimes you're going to get it right and it just depends whether people can take the criticism or not and I'm I was always quite happy to take it as well and it's not like your job as a pundit is to to analyze the game Hmm. 
So and you, also be yourself. Be yourself. The be authentic. You have to be authentic to work with the people that are just themselves. Exactly. Absolutely authentic. And you just have to realize that you can't go into it if you want everyone to like you. Mm. You just can't. You have to have thick skin, whether you're a presenter or any type of subjective role in TV. And lots of them are. People don't like how you look. People don't like your voice. People don't like what you're saying. You kind of just have to let it roll off your back. Yeah, water off a duck's back, isn't it? But I think the best people that actually have the longevity, and you would know this, you have to be really self-aware. And as hard as it is, the thing I found really difficult was watching back the co-commentating or because I hate my voice when you hear it back and or seeing things that you made a mistake when you're actually a pundit and you just cringe because you're out there aren't you Mm. you are out there you're forward facing but I've never been afraid to embarrass myself so why would I change that's great (laughs) and that's what we love about you so much personality look you're around the game now albeit in a slightly different capacity let's just chat about the progression that has happened from your playing days to where you see the game now because it has come on a phenomenal amount hasn't it huge and I love it I absolutely love it I love seeing every four-year cycle for a women's world cup the visibility, the quality of play, and the investment in the game. And we always need to keep reminding ourselves that we are coming from a different historical aspect to the men's game. We've got a lot of catching up to do, but there is progress being made. And you do have these seminal moments where there's a big spike. So 99, I think, was a big spike for Mm. the Women's World Cup. And I think 2019 in France was another big spike. And I'm really excited that now the Women's World Cup is in Australia, New Zealand next time, because I think that is a good place to continue the momentum. And um, it feels like rather than going up and then coming back down, we're going up and maintaining that level of momentum for a little bit, for a lot longer. And I think um, it's just exciting. It's and, I, and you know the other thing I love? Probably these days, it's close to 100% of my work is in women's sport or women's football now. WSL, Women's World Cups, um, the W League, it's this the documentary I'm working on now. That, to me, I never thought that would be able to happen as a producer in TV, in sport TV, and in football. I mean, we'll touch on the documentary a little bit later because I want to sort of ask you about that because I think it's phenomenal. But just talking about the WSL and the rise of women's game over here, you've now got, I know you're still very good friends with a lot of the Matildas. Mm. How incredible is it for the WSL that players like Sam Kerr have now signed and they want to play here? The WSL is very fast becoming the best women's league in the world. And it's not far off. And I've said I should that. just point out, if you don't know what the WSL is, it's the Women's Super women's League. Women's Super League, Which yes. is effectively the Premier League for the women's game here in the UK. Absolutely. And since I, when I moved here in 2012, I thought our league in Australia, technically, tactically, was better than the WSL. That is not the case anymore. But the big game changer, there was always Chelsea. Arsenal were always really strong. But it's been the investment from the other clubs, the Premier League clubs, the Manchester Cities. But there's there's still, you know, one or two clubs that have actually lost the fight in the Women's Super League mm. and may still lose the fight, especially now after the current circumstances with COVID, because it's always the first thing to go. And mm. we still are reliant on men's funding. We are, and we're and we're relying on that one club mentality, but again the investment in a lot of those from a lot of those big clubs is a game changer and I can see that's only going to get better because I still think as a product I know it's the first to go of times of austerity but 
it just doesn't cost a lot. Your return, and but what we need to improve is the return on investment because that's where it falls away. We don't get the TV rights money, the cost, you know, getting bums mm. on seats, ticket prices. That's where we need to improve to make it more commercially viable. Yeah. And sponsorship as well. I think sponsorship's getting there. But it's the TV rights, visibility and stuff like that. They have done well in terms of, like, you can now watch WSL and BT Sports. And there have been some phenomenal games where they've filled the stadiums. You know, they... They are. And unfortunately, they're they're still one-offs. The problem that I think the WSL still has is it's such a congested fixture list, Mm. isn't it, Becky? You work in football. I do. It's crazy. It's amazing, but we're saturated by football over in Europe. And so trying to find... The right, you know, you, most of the WSL games are on a Sunday. So you're coming up against Super Sunday, right? Where are yeah. you going to schedule the games? Also not having your own pitch. So having to rely on home and away games for Arsenal, say it's a Boreham Wood, stuff like that. And then where is Boreham Wood compared to the Arsenal fan base? Well, it's it's not quite there. So there's like logistical things yeah. that still need, need to working on. And it's difficult. It is. And I know they changed to a summer league to try and account for that. But then everyone's away. You know, so you're not going to get that many people. And then groundsmen want to fix their pitches, so they don't really want you playing on them. I yeah. mean, groundsmen, I'm not sure why, how any football gets played on any football <laughs> pitches with groundsmen. <laughs> groundsmen like, have these amazing pitches and don't want anyone to touch them mm. ever, which I think is huge. So the FA Cup semi-final or something is actually being played before a men's game, which is... Yeah, they're playing the back-to-back. Which we do that in Australia, and I don't think it's such a big deal, but for some Over reason here. it's like... Mind blown. Mm. What are you, you what? You want to play before the men? We don't cut up the pitch. We're a lot lighter on the pitch, but it is. It's the groundsman with their little, you know, those little forks where they put yeah. in the divots, just like standing, oh. staring, scowling on the sideline going, Honestly, don't you touch my pitch. They love those pitches so much. I'm not joking. I've turned up to a game and it's been raining and there has been a groundsman out there with a towel just mopping up puddles. <laughs> yeah. Like it's a labor of love. It's a labor of, of love. Grounds. It's amazing. They love so it, don't they? Oh God, they so do. Uh, right. Let's move on to our second game. All right. Yeah. This is called The Wrong Answer is Right. Now, this is all about, you know, sport. It's quick thinking, on the spot, adapt to all the situations. And sometimes you're just playing blagging and winging it. Let's face it, are we? So, that's um, how I do it. Yeah. yeah, that's how we all do it. Yep. So with that in mind, it's the sports-related quick-fire questions. Um, and all you have to do is answer with the wrong answer. <laughs> okay. Yeah? This makes me quite nervous, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. what, what's more nerve-wracking, this quiz or a World Cup? This quiz. Yeah. <laughs> It's what we do. So we are going to get 45 seconds on the clock. Ready? In three, two, one. What colour is grass on a football pitch? Red. Who are the Matildas? New Zealand. How long is a game of football? 70 minutes. Where is Where were the 2012 Olympic Games held? Australia. Which team does Emma Hayes manage? Arsenal. What team? What does WSL stand for? Weather silly league. Which sport is played on a court and uses shuttlecocks and nets? Football. Which sport does Mo Farah compete at? Tennis. Name the Lionesses manager. Phil Neville. Or... No, that's... Well, no. You got... I need, I need a new one. He's still the manager. Oh, um... Uh, Arsene Wenger. Name an Olympic sport. Yes. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Time is up. It's hard, isn't it? 
You know, I said the Phil Neville one because I thought, well, he's not going to be the manager anymore. No, but he currently still I is. I know, I know. And so I was trying to be clever there, and then you, uh, it backfired. How yeah. many did we end up with there? I think we got nine. Not impressive that's oh, wait till you see an Olympic sport that's called yes there yeah. definitely will be that <laughs> yeah where were you going with yeah. that one Olympic yes. sport yes. yes when that happens I'll call you up and yeah, I'll be like exactly. yeah, can you believe it Yeah. Right. IOC have ratified yes <laughs> <laughs> um, so now you're doing punditry you're still doing that it's still is it still a thing kind not of not as much more well I do yeah I do a little bit of reporting it's funny isn't it the terminology of it because mm. I kind of feel like I'm more doing the reporting Porter. stuff yeah I do a little bit yeah I've sideline punditry I guess but um now you're reporting but also you're now TV producing yeah doing a bit of everything which is awesome how on earth did that come about that actually came about a bit through necessity so when I moved over here and I was just finding it really difficult to get a job I'd done some reporting work on the women's super league when it started but to be fair I was still very inexperienced and um I actually, I remember getting a call from the producer of the WSL and saying, yeah, look, we're going to replace you um, with someone more experienced called Ailey Barber. Oh. And I was like, who's Ailey Barber? Who is this? And Ailey Barber's excellent. Famous <laughs> last words. Famous <laughs> last words. Ailey Barber is excellent. And to be honest, it wasn't, It's you know, you know what it's like. It's a very competitive world huh. if you want to be on TV, on on screen. And it wasn't ever anything that I was overly passionate about. And I know you have to be very driven and single-minded to do that and I just wasn't too bothered in it but um the BBC got the rights they were showing the 2013 Euros and Sunset Vine production company were producing that for the BBC and I got a gig just as a researcher on that because I knew still knew most of the players and started doing stat packs which is one of the worst jobs in the world oh, stat packs they are super helpful I get stat packs before no, but you I have look to be a specific type of person because basically it's homework yes basically you need to like doing homework yes I agree and with I that. never liked doing homework <laughs> and it's so a lot of numbers as well and also women's football statistics are just so you can't trust them they're just so bad. You mm. can get to three different sites. I even saw something today about Serena Weigman's, um caps. Three different sites will have three different numbers, and it's ridiculous, mm. and I hated it. But that's how I started. Amazing. But now, uh, we touched on it slightly earlier, you are doing, producing this TV show. It's coming out later in the year on BT Sport. What can you tell us about it, and why is the show that you're producing so important? <laughs> It's so important because there's never been an investment in a women's football documentary like this. Which is what it is. I feel like we've been very cloak and dagger about what we have been doing. Very cloak and dagger. <laughs> Basically, it's going to be a six-part documentary, um, an hour each episode, and it's a, essentially a football talent search. We want to see and want to highlight in women's football, it's very, very difficult to scout players. There's very little information on players and there's very little footage on players. And if you're at the top level, then yes. But if you're anywhere in between, then it's very difficult. And also, as I said before, a lot of these players have to make a decision to go and either work or to go and study and fall out of the game. Or even if they are at university, so they'll play for their university, but they still could have been at the top level, Mm. but they've chosen another career path. So, or even again, young girls that were at these academies but fell out of the academies because they couldn't travel to them anymore. So we're trying to unearth talent or see who's out there, um, which has been extremely tricky, as you can imagine, under the current circumstances. Yeah. We, st- we started this in production in March 
And then we had to stop after four weeks. Okay. And we've come back and it's been an extremely tight turnaround. Um, and it's had its challenges, but I think it could be the start of something that could happen time and time again. That's great. So Hopefully. It could be a way. I say, what advice would you give to young players today to get into the game? Would you encourage them to apply for the type of show that you're producing? I guess any opportunity is great. It's a platform. Absolutely. And even if we just take away all of that, the and I always talk about the visibility of women's football, again, the visibility and the investment of production companies and broadcasters to actually see that there is value in a premise like this in women's football, I think is phenomenal. And we need to really take advantage of that. And I, I just think... You know, this is the first one and under the current circumstances, I think we've done really well in the time frame from pre-production to actually filming. Mm. It's been pretty hectic, but I can just see the potential of something like this uh, going forward, which is pretty exciting. And it's great. It's exciting to have been a footballer and to now be producing it. It's, it's just like, it's a dream come true. I love it. That's amazing. What advice would you give to people that want to play today? Play because you love it. If you asked me when I was a kid, why do you want to play football? It would be because I love it. I can't think of anything else that I want to do. Now, if you ask kids why they want to become footballers, it's because they want to be a celebrity or they want to be rich. Mm, it's not the one, is it? It's not the same. Because that's and not it, sustainable. It's not. Well, it's and the expectation. Life. It's also the yeah. expectation of why you're doing it. And look, there might be some kids who actually do get all of that. But we know the level, the percentage of failure is a lot higher oh, than the percentage of success. Massively. But you, you have to do it for the love of the game. It's really simple. But I think that's going to win out time and time again. What do you know now that you wish that you'd known when you were starting out? Don't try and tackle Chinese defenders. <laughs> in the game. Uh, what do I know now that I didn't know then? I think... It's actually now having a voice and speaking up for inequality and speaking up with your opinion and and standing up for what you believe in. Because I think as a youngster and when you're in a very male-dominated environment coming from sport and then into production and into particularly sport production, it can be very difficult to actually have your voice. And that can take time and take a few hits as well, chinks in the armor, to actually find your confidence. And I feel like I'm there again now because I was a confident person, but then retraining at 30 years old in a completely different career was really difficult. And a career where in another country where everyone knows football, everyone thinks they know football, even if they don't, but there's a, there's a high expectation when you do come into a role like this. And it was, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was really difficult for a good couple of years. I was terrible and I was didn't have any self-esteem. I'd lost my confidence, but it it just takes time. You've just got to grind through it. Yeah. And now I feel like, I feel like I'm I'm back to where I was previously. Feel like you're back to the old age. That's great. Back to the old age. Love it. <laughs> Lastly, let's do this last quiz. This is your last chance to get some points on the board. I've just okay. got to be breach. Just mm. breach. Got to beat her. You do because I'm just. Gonna, I just want to trash talk her. <laughs> She's <laughs> no, gonna dude. love this for years. <laughs> because also, you know that you and I will never hear the end of it if she exactly. actually wins this. I know, exactly. Come on. Right here we go. Um, this quiz, honestly, you should fly through this because it's how well do you know yourself? <laughs> All these questions. The right. answer is you. Right. <laughs> okay. okay. What okay, you've great. done. And judging from what you've said throughout this chat, I feel like you've got an incredible memory for detail. Oh, gosh. So I think you'll do well at this. Okay. So let's see how we go. In three, two, one. 
Yes. At 15, you got the call up to international duty of a tour in 97 of which countries? Ah, right. Hungary, Finland, Sweden, Estonia, Belgium, Holland. Five, six, seven. Where else is there? We only went through Germany. We didn't play there. Where else did we go? That's good enough for me. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> How many professional teams have you played for? Two. Have I? Three? Name them. Uh, Millwall, Brisbane Roar. Oh, who's the other one? I don't know the other one. Queensland Academy of Sport? No. Queensland Sting. Queensland Sting. There you go. Well, that's so, yeah, okay. You worked for Opta Sport, the 2019 Women's World Cup. Which stadium were you at for the final? Uh, Leon Stadium. What's it called? Is that Group and Love? Group, yep, that's right. Leon Stadium. <laughs> How many international caps have you got? 66. How many international goals? Six. What year did you join the production company Sunset and Vine? 2013. For which company did you work on the 2011 Women's World Cup? ESPN. Yes. In what role? Pundit. Correct. So what number is on the shirt when you had your infamous red card moment? Number 13. It was. Are we out of time? This you is where have to go back. This is where rules on this podcast really don't apply. Also, you keep giving me the answers. I know. <laughs> I'm a, I think it's safe to say I will not be branching out into game show hosting no, anytime you soon. You might need to look that back about when it actually the time yeah. stopped. 41 One, seconds. two, three, four, five, well, six, seven, eight, nine. Thirteen! <laughs> yes. Lucky number thirteen. Ish. Lucky number thirteen. So, I liked Adam as soon as I saw him. I thought, he's a good liar. I, I know, him. he's the like, <laughs> independent <laughs> adjudicator. So if I get my uh, trusty calculator out, because I'm rubbish at maths, we've got five <laughs> plus nine. Oh, you've only gone and done it. You beat a George Breach! Yeah. You've got 27 in, in your face, Jules. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. She, she is, might, she might, she might have a couple of complaints about some of those. She but I don't is care. Be I don't so care. mad. She is because she's a real stickler. But she's like a Monica from Friends when it comes to games and rules. So she's going to have better. a lot to say. But Even better. Never mind. We're just going to cheers in front of her face. Yep. Unlucky. <laughs> hey, look, Ish. To finish this off, I'm asking every guest that I have on. Just to finish this sentence, and you can finish it in as many words as you want, little, like, a lot, no right or wrong. Um, So I'm just going to say three words, and then you finish it off. So I'm going (laughs) to say, women in sport need to continue using their voices to improve the visibility and support of other women. That was awesome. Really? Yes. No, it really was, actually. I think you've just made such a good point about speaking out more, being forward-facing, being more vocal. And and supporting other women. Yes. It's really difficult, women in sport. It's... We're still a minority, and we're st- but and we need to just keep supporting each other and need to keep building each other up rather than trying to exclude. And I I do think sometimes that does happen because we think that there's not as many roles hmm. for women. But the opportunities we- are growing though. Opportunities are growing, and there's enough out there for everyone. And we just need to keep supporting each other. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. You pleasure. supported me doing this, so I really appreciate <laughs> it. I honestly do. With pleasure. You've been fabulous. Good luck with the show. Thanks. Coming out later this year. BAFTA award-winning documentary. <laughs> Can I be your plus one? Yep. Yes. <laughs> All right. Hopefully by then we'll have award shows back and it will be there. But for the time being, Alicia Ferguson, thank you so much. Thanks, Becky. Thank you so much for listening to Outside the Box with me, Becky Ives. Make sure you subscribe, share far and wide, and please feel free to leave me a review. Let's keep this conversation going, though, on social media. Just use the hashtag Outside the Box Pod. Next up, we'll be speaking to women's football agent, Georgie Hodge. But in the meantime, do feel free to get in touch with any comments, questions, anything that I can help you with. You can drop me a shout anytime at Becky underscore Ives underscore on Twitter or at Becky Ives official on Instagram. Thank you so much and I'll catch you next time.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.